0: Let's bring in Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, sports columnist, longtime sports columnist. He's back with us live from the Triangle, with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Luke, how are you, buddy?
1: Good. Fully fully uh, aware of myself as a name. Smoke should not be sick.
0: <laughs> yeah, well done. Well done. That's why you're you're a brilliant man. Um, hey, let's start with the Carolina Hurricanes. They got a big one tonight, don't they? The Florida Panthers coming to town. I think I saw they're looking for their 12th straight road win and now here's carolina they got uh, things are starting to look better and better all the time that second line's looking pretty good what do you think about tonight
1: yeah i mean it's a good test I, i'm not sure that the hurricanes have really reached their ceiling yet um they've played well uh special teams have been better goal has been better um but there's still another level for this team to get to probably needs to get to um when it, if and when it sees the panthers again in the postseason so It's a good test. The Panthers are a team that for whatever reason, and and last year, a lot of it had to do with goaltending and Sergei Bobrovsky being on an unbelievable hot streak. Uh, They they match up well with the Hurricanes. The the way they play, which is a little slower, a little little, uh, uh, beefier, for for lack of a better word, than the Hurricanes, they're going to play a a more grinding game. The Hurricanes want to get going up and down. Um, not that they don't grind people, but they'd rather do it by getting the puck into your end, getting on your heels and, and going after you. And the Panthers are going to you know, do it in a more maybe old-fashioned way. But they also, uh, last year in the playoffs, especially had terrific goal thing. So it's an interesting clash of styles, good test for the Hurricanes. In the end, it doesn't really matter uh, if the Hurricanes were to lose and the Panthers were to extend their streak tonight. The Hurricanes are in the playoffs either way. They're not going to play the, the Panthers before the conference finals. Uh, this is all sort of uh, uh, window dressing. But we've seen it in the past with the Bruins, especially when the Hurricanes were having trouble getting past them in the postseason. Sometimes regular season meetings can change the dynamic between two teams. Mm -hmm. And once the Hurricanes started pushing the Bruins around a little bit in the regular season, their fortunes did change in the postseason. So obviously the Hurricanes were heavily favored last year. It's a different dynamic with the Panthers. But the Panthers are playing really well, and this is a chance to make that kind of statement.
0: So you you alluded to, you know, the goaltenders there a second ago. It's funny, the last time you and I brought this up, we were talking about kind of an issue there. And I was reading a piece over at The Athletic from Corey Lavalette earlier today about uh, suddenly a glut of goaltenders. Just for anybody who might be catching up or turning their attention to hockey for the first time since the end of football season or whatever the case may be. Assuming this team's in the playoffs, big game, you know, you're looking for the right guy in net. Who are they going to?
1: Well, in theory, it should be Frederick Anderson, but he hasn't played since November because he had a blood clotting issue that's taken a while to sort out. Which these things tend to take a while to sort out. Uh, he's back practicing, and in theory, he would be the number one guy. But he's had durability issues in the past. He missed the start of the postseason last year. It's entirely possible a two two month break in the middle of the season is the best thing for him. Um, but in you know nominally speaking, he's the number one, and then you've got. Peter Kachekov, who's the third-year Russian goalie, played really well uh, sort of in a cameo appearance in the playoffs two years ago, um, played really well in the middle of last season, um, struggled at times this season, sort of came into the season as the third goalie, has kind of become the, the 1A, especially with, with Freddie on the shelf. Uh, very erratic, extremely talented, kind of crazy, to be honest with you, in an old-school goalie way. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a wild card. He can be extremely good. He can be Uh, Not so hot. Then you've got Antti Ranta, uh, veteran, much beloved in the room, great guy, uh, You know best when he plays sparingly, really struggled uh, in November and December, the same time Kachekov did when Freddie was hurt. Ended up getting sent to the AHL to kind of retool and recalibrate, which seemed to work. Um, He's injured now, but working his way back. Uh, Really more of a backup option, but he played really well for them in the playoffs last year when Freddie was out. And then you've got Spencer Martin, who they claimed on waivers from Columbus, not the guy anyone on the message boards was clamoring for, uh, and is coming in and won all three of his starts, two of them against the best teams, two of the best teams in the league on the road. So goaltending is weird. Like, that's the thing about it. There's very little sort of consistency from year to year, other than those guys in that very elite tier. So the Hurricanes have sort of four tickets to the lottery now. Uh, you know, Freddie Anderson would presumably be the starter. Kachekov would presumably be the first option. But the way that Spencer Martin is played, and look, this is a guy who came out of nowhere, was playing not a ton for the Columbus Blue Jackets. They put him on waivers. The Hurricanes grab him, and he's come in, and it's only three games, but he's given them exactly what they needed, which is someone they could count on when the other guys need a break. So it's not out of the realm of possibility he could end up playing in the postseason. The biggest problem that they're going to have when Anderson and Ronta are both healthy is what to do with four goalies, because you can't carry four. I don't think they're going to want to lose Martin at this point the way he's played. And I don't think Ronta's already taken one for the team going down to the AHL once. It's tough to ask a veteran guy to do that twice. So that's a little bit of a knot that has to be untied, but those are your sort of uh, cast of characters in that.
0: All right, we got Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, longtime sports columnist. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Uh, my guy John and Mooresville wanted me to ask you about uh, baseball, and I think it's a, a good time to do it because yesterday on ESPN, as you probably know, uh, there was a piece up about expansion in Major League Baseball, and not just that, but there were you know captions, segments on each potential city, and the front page of ESPN yesterday was the shot of the Charlotte skyline uh, from basically the vantage point of the press box at Truist Field in Uptown, home of the Knights. Um, I thought the, the article itself, the caption itself for Charlotte was utterly useless, but um, being that you're out there in Raleigh, and obviously you covered Tom Dundon's team, and we talked to Tom here on the show a couple of months ago about his intentions. Have you heard anything? What are your thoughts?
1: No, I haven't, but this was never going to be a immediate kind of thing. A lot of us was doing due diligence to figure out if it even made sense whether that was Raleigh or Charlotte. Um, obviously, you know, Charlotte has its advantages. Raleigh has the advantage of being where the Hurricanes are, the team that he already owns, um, and not having a lot of sort of other pro competition in the form of an NFL and NBA team. So there's sort of interesting points for each market. I, I still think even with Dundon's sort of muscle behind it, this is a very long shot. Um, economically speaking, especially for the triangle, it's, it's a really tough, lift because of the number of tickets you need to sell and the corporate support you need to do that. Um, you know, the sort of amenities you have to sell in terms of suites and party decks and things like that, you need a ton of corporate support. Um, it, it makes it difficult. And, and really, honestly, in Charlotte as well, when you look at the cities that have MLB teams or get MLB teams, um, they're typically bigger. Um, it's a tough sport to support, especially now that you're heading into an era in the sort of late 2020s, Uh, where you're not going to be able to count on local broadcast revenues the way you once could. That was a big reason, uh, a big engine fueling baseball's economic growth sort of in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s was the fact that they had these, you know, in the case of the Dodgers, extremely lucrative local TV deals. Um, But those are dead now, Um, you know, except in a few very rare instances like the Yes Network. That dynamic just doesn't exist anymore. So I still think this is a very long shot. I think it's great that somebody is taking a look and trying to crunch the numbers, but I don't expect this to be something that turns around quickly. Um, In both cases, you're talking about billions of dollars to build an adequate stadium. That's a really big nut just to talk about, just to get started, let alone payroll, front office, scouting, development, all these other expenses that go into it. Um, it's a really big lift starting from scratch. Um, you know, there's always talk about moving a team, but even then, you're still talking about billions of dollars from the stadium. Um, it's just, it's a really hard hurdle to get over.
0: All right, Luke, uh, let's talk about Duke last night. They beat Miami. We know this is not the Miami team that you know, Miami fans, Jim Laronega expected, no Nigel Pack, that you know, backcourt's kind of decimated. But, yeah, Duke was uh, dominant last night, and it seemed a theme after the game with John Shire. Was about toughness and and you know bristling at the idea that his team is not tough enough. What what do you think specifically about Duke's toughness? Because it it is required often to make a run in the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a valid question to ask, especially when you look at what happened to them last year against Tennessee, where they were out tough right out of the tournament um, by a bigger, stronger team. Uh, and, and you've seen it. Like I I think what you what it really comes down to this season is how do you define toughness? Is it physicality? Is it, you know, pushing guys around, boxing out, um, you know, defending hard? Like, like, I think Duke has some of that. The question with Duke, and look, John Shire raised these questions himself. The home loss to Pitt. Can you face up to a guy on the other team who's showing you up? The game at Chapel Hill. John Shire was irate at the way, and, and really more like disappointed parent. Like, I'm not angry with you, I'm just disappointed. At the way Duke didn't pursue loose balls and didn't hustle the way that, you know, Shire would expect. So I, I think Shire, to a certain extent, is trying to get that off his team's mind by claiming that, hey, we're past that. But I think it's a valid question to ask when you look at the games they've lost. It's just a question of how you define toughness. And I think for Duke, it's really more mental toughness, you know, the, the going after loose balls. Um, really dialing in on defense in, in tough environments, even when that's at home and it's a guy like Blake Hinson who's making you look silly. So I, I think it, I think it is a fair to question Duke's toughness. I think it's equally fair for John Shire after last night, after some of the games the Blue Devils have played recently, especially coming out of that Carolina game. He wanted to see a response from his team and he's seen it. So this is a good time for him to kind of use the bully pulpit, pulpit and point out to people that The questions that I had about my own team, my own team has answered. And, uh, you know, talking about toughness is one way to do it. So I think think that's a fair question to ask and a fair point for Shire to make after a nice win over Miami.
0: Now, yesterday we got into a fun conversation. I don't know about fun for NC State fans, but we got into (laughs) a conversation with NC State fans about, hey, if this thing continues to spiral, obviously losing to Syracuse doesn't end the season. But, you know, if you don't make the tournament, you fire Kevin Keats. Who do you think's the next man up? Like, who's the right guy for this job in 2024? I had a few texters want me to ask you this question, so I'll pass it to you. If they move on, um, who who do you think they would or should be targeting? I'm a big a big Pat Kelsey guy myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you want someone who's got uh, some roots in the ACC, which Kelsey obviously does. Um, but I think you need a guy who's has some experience winning at a high major level because. You know, when you look at, at Kevin Keats and you, you sort of go back and debrief what went wrong there, um, it was a guy whose only head coaching job was at UNC Wilmington, um, obviously had experience at Louisville with Rick Pitino. Um, you know, so I think you want somebody who is, you know, which is something that Mark Gottfried actually had on his otherwise barren resume, somebody who's, who's coached and won a, at a high major level. You know, is NC State desperate enough to go out and get somebody like Will Wade and all the bags that he carries? Uh, it was certainly someone that NC State looked at when they hired Kevin Keith. Um But those are the kind of guys who are going to be out there. I, I will say, in, in you know, the talk about the season spiraling, um, you know, this is a, something I've had this conversation with several people this week. I think we too often get caught up in that sort of every game is a referendum mentality. Yep. NC State is not that very far removed from going down and beating Clemson um, with a terrific late-game performance and really probably should have beaten Syracuse, all things considered. So, you know, the the sort of uh, stage of NC State basketball and Keith and his future and all that, I, I just feel like we're kind of jumping the gun on that a little bit. They still have two big games against Carolina and Duke. They have winnable games, and they have an ACC tournament. Um, I, I just feel like people are are and this look. This is a sign of the apathy that surrounds that program. There's no question about it, and that is a big picture issue that's not easily addressed. But I just I just feel like we're kind of veering from uh, extreme to extreme with NC State basketball, and everyone just needs to kind of let let this play out and see where it goes. And don't forget also. You've got a chancellor who's walking out the door next summer, presumably. Uh Um, You've got an AD who hasn't shown a, a, a lot of sort of inclination to make big changes. I'm not sure Kevin Keats' job is in as much danger as everyone thinks it is, even if they miss the tournament. And it
0: might not be. And I said this I said something similar yesterday and I saw your tweet about it that hey, I'm not gonna I'm not, we're not gonna talk about him as if as if it's over because they're eight and seven in conference with multiple games to play in a tournament. So, you know, two weeks from now you Kevin Keats could get the last laugh and none of this conversation matters. But I mean we you and I both know how many fans inside that fan base feel about what's going on. Um, you know, before I let you go, the news yesterday, I I guess it was yesterday, maybe two days ago that um, the, the playoff committee, you know, we're, we haven't even cracked the seal on a 12-game college football playoff, and there's already murmurings about it going to 14 teams as early as 2026. What do you make of this?
1: I mean, I, the, the thing with the CFP, and, and this has been obvious, well, from the beginning, but even if you go back to a couple summers ago where they were trying to put the original 12-team proposal, slide that under the door before anyone found out that Oklahoma and Texas were jumping to the SEC, uh, these guys are making this up as they go along. They really don't have any big long-term plans for this stuff. They're veering from whatever solution seems to make the most sense and make the most money at any given time. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence in the long-term vision that these guys have for the CFP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't, to me, strike. You know, it, it it strikes me as something that is kind of cobbled together and has been probably more successful than anyone have envisioned to the point where it's now a, sort of this own financial powerhouse center rivaling the NCAA. Um, I, I just, you know, if I, well, we're going to do five and seven. Is that going to change at some point? You know, there was talk about farming out the TV deal to multiple outlets so everyone got a piece. NBC would get the Notre Dame games and Fox would be involved and maybe Amazon or Apple gets a game. And it's, it ends up going back to ESPN and they may sub-license some of it. some of those people but it's there's not there's not a ton of imagination here there's not a ton of 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 innovation um it's a bunch of guys doing the least the least common denominator that gets them the most money and so i you know could we go to 14 could we go to 16 could we go to 32 and start the season in july Uh, who knows if someone offers them enough money they'll do it they're just running down the street chasing after nickels at this point
0: You're not wrong about that. Luke, I appreciate you, brother, as always. We'll talk to you next week.
1: All right, Cal. Take care.